Amen. All right. If you've got your Bibles, let's open them up. Psalm 119 is where we've been, and Psalm 119 is where we're going to be this morning. It's our last Sunday in Psalm 119. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, you're going to want one. If you didn't bring one, there's a blue one underneath the seat you're sitting in. You see, just reach down there, way down there, keep reaching, and there it is. Uh, pull out that blue Bible. Psalm 119 is where we're going to be, and we're going to pick it up in verse uh, 70. 4, 73. Psalm 119, verse 73. In the blue Bible, it's on page uh, 568. Page 568 in that blue Bible. And so um, we have been in this series. It's actually been a little bit more than a sermon series. Uh, It's been really a full-on initiative here at Flourishing Grace. A full-on initiative. Every person every day is what we've been saying every single week for the past four weeks. And what we mean by every person every day is this. Our goal for the year is that every person who calls Flourishing Grace home, every person who says, man, this is my church, this is my community, uh, this is where God has called me in this season, would be in the word of God every single day. That we commit our lives to it. Every man, woman, and even every child would be in the word of God together. That we would be reading the word. And so we've created or we've, we've, we've laid out uh, four different tools that put into your hands right? We put, it, we put together four reading plans. We have an adult reading plan. Uh, we have a reading plan for preschoolers, a reading plan for elementary kids, and a re- reading plan for teens and preteens. So these four uh, reading plans, we've talked a lot about this over the past few weeks. I'm not going to talk any more about it. You can learn all about it at flourishinggrace.org slash Bible. Or today, today's kind of the last day, you can go out there on a table out there. You can pick those up. If you have not engaged that yet, I want to challenge you Man, start today. Pick that up for your kid, for your grandkid, uh, for yourself today. All right. So here's where we've been. Over the past four weeks, well, the past three weeks, today being the fourth week, we've talked about this work, the Bible. The Bible as being, well, the first thing we said is this. The Bible is an incredible gift from God. The God of all things has given you an unbelievable gift. He's given you his word He's giving you his word, and he wants to open the gift with you. He delights in drawing near to you in the opening of his word. He wants to teach you and show you and reveal to you things from Scripture that you would not find on your own. He wants to help you understand and grow in your knowledge of it. He wants to move it from our heads to our hearts so that, the second thing we talked about, so that our affection for him might increase. He wants to reveal to us who he is. Every word on every page is is showing us and demonstrating his love for us. It's all leading to the ultimate act of love where God himself would come and give his life for us. Everything points to Christ and everything points back to Christ. Everything after Christ points back to him. Everything, the culmination, the apex, the, the, the epicenter of the word is Christ. It all points to him. And he's revealing his love so that our affections for him would increase. And then what we talked about last week is he doesn't just leave us there. He shows us how to respond to those affections. He shows us how to walk according to his word, to walk in a manner worthy to which we've been called. And this morning, what I'm going to argue is this, that Scripture, the Bible, this unbelievable gift, doesn't just change us, doesn't just bring us to light. It changes those around us. As we engage the word, As you engage the word, people in your life are going to be influenced by it. As you become a person of the word, people in your life are going to be influenced by that. 
Not just, not just you, people around you. Really what we've been talking about for the past four weeks is this idea of the sufficiency of Scripture, right? What theologians would call the sufficiency of Scripture. Scripture is sufficient for these things in your life. Scripture alone is sufficient to bring us to a place of delight with God. Scripture alone is sufficient to reveal to us who God is. Scripture alone is sufficient to teach us how to walk according to his word, to bring him pleasure, to please him. Scripture alone is sufficient for that. Now, it's not the only thing we have, but it alone is sufficient to do those things. And Scripture is sufficient to advance the mission of God in your life simply by you engaging it. As you become a person who engages the word every single day, Scripture is going to change the lives of those around you. That's what we're going to see today in Psalm 119. We're going to pick it up in verse 73. And if you would, if you would stand with me this morning in honor and reverence of this unbelievable gift that God has given us, if you'd stand as I read the word for us. Psalm 119, 73. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O oh Lord, that your rules are righteous, that, you're in, that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. We're going to look at three different vignettes from this text. Three, three different chunks of this scripture. There's three different people that are talked about here. The, the first one is fellow followers of Jesus. Fellow worshipers of the God of all things. And what the psalmist is going to say is that as we, as you and I, as we become people of the word, as we engage the word, they rejoice. As you become a person of the word, the people are sitting around you. And I know not everybody in the room is a follower of Jesus. But the followers of Jesus that are gathered together, as you invest your life and your family into the word of God, people around you are going to find joy in that and find delight in that. He says it in verse 74. He says this. He says, those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because, they have hoped in, because I have hoped in your word. Those who fear you, those who stand in awe of God, those who hold him in a right place as holy and blameless and righteous, as preeminent above all things, those who worship and follow Christ, those who fear you will see me. Now that's fascinating, right? He's putting the attention on himself. So they're going to see me and they're going to rejoice. They're going to have joy in me. Why? Because I've hoped in your word. As we become a people of the word and we hope in the word, people around us are going, to be are going to rejoice. Other followers of Jesus who fear God will rejoice. One commentator, Matthew Henry, well-known, famous old commentator, uh, did an amazing work on this chunk of Psalm 119. 
And he says this about this particular verse. He says, the comforts which some of God's children have in God and the favors they have received from him should be a matter of joy to others of them. When we see followers of Jesus receiving comfort and joy and gladness and goodness from God, we should rejoice with them. Now, rejoicing with people in their joy is natural for us. That's something that we do normally. That's, that's, that's something that you do all the time, right? When your best friend is getting married, what do you do? Party. You join with them in the greatest celebration of their life, right? I mean, they go all out. Now, I know this is Utah, so it's not really the same, okay? But in the rest of the world, friends, um, they go all out. They put on like the biggest spread of the most delicious food, the best drink, the best wine. It is the finest, the best that they can possibly afford. That's what you're invited to. And you put on the nicest clothes you have. In fact, you don't put on the nicest clothes you have. You go rent clothes because you don't have clothes nice enough, right? We go rent a tux because I don't have clothes nice enough to go to this type of celebration, to share in this type of joy and the delight. And so we go and we party and we celebrate, we dance. And we have fun. We share in their joy. A friend of yours gets a promotion at work or maybe a new job. What do you do? You take them out. You celebrate. You take them out to dinner. I mean, you take them out to a drink. And not just the cheap stuff. You buy them a nice drink. You celebrate. You celebrate their achievement. And the joy that they have becomes your joy. You didn't do anything. It's not for you. It's for them. But you celebrate. You share in that. Fellas, when, when one of our buddies, right, has a wife and his wife gives birth to their child, usually their first child, right, kind of the tradition of men is to buy that guy a nice cigar, right? And you sneak up onto the roof of the hospital, which is getting harder and harder. Trust me, I, listen, <laughs> it's just getting harder and harder, right? You sneak up on the roof of the hospital and you, and you celebrate with fine cigars. That's the tradition of men. That's what we do. We, 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 it's not, I'm not doing anything. I'm just sharing in his joy. This is a natural thing for us. And for followers of Jesus, we should share in the joy of those who are receiving gifts, blessings, and goodness as they cling to the word of God. We should receive joy in our brothers and sisters in Christ who walk in the truth. As we see the evidence of that in their lives, we should be filled with joy. John says it this way, 3 John, which is one of our readings for this week. You all should know it if you've been following along the reading plan. 3 John, verse 3 and 4. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. Verse 4, listen to this. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. John says, I have no greater joy. And he's not talking about his literal children. He's talking about his children in Christ, those that he's discipled, those that he's led to Christ, his fellow followers of Jesus. I have no greater joy than to hear that they're walking in the truth. What is the truth? What's the truth? It's the word of God. When, when we see each other giving our lives to knowing, reading, becoming creatures of the word, we should rejoice when we see that happening in our brothers and sisters. Now we learn in the Psalm, Psalm 119, that in this moment of his life, the psalmist is being afflicted, right? He says, in your, in your faithfulness, God, you are afflicting me, right? There's, there's trouble, there's turmoil. We don't know exactly what's going on, right? 
But this, this is often a moment when we receive joy, when we see a brother or a sister in Christ going through a season of sorrow and clinging to the word. When we see a brother or sister in Christ going through a season of sorrow or pain, when we see them... Um, Maybe, it's a, maybe they've lost their job, or, or maybe, maybe it's a, a sickness. Maybe they've, maybe they've lost a good friend or family member uh, to death. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe the doctor's cold and there's no cure. And in the midst of that pain and sorrow, in the midst of this dark hour of the soul, they cling to the word. They say, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, I will not fear, because my God is with me. He is, a, he is a near and present help in times of trouble. He is here. He's with me. I cling to the word. I cling to the word in the darkness. I cling to the word. And when we see that happening, the result should be for you and for me, for fellow followers, should be for choice. For joy, we should rejoice with them because we know, as the psalmist says in Psalm 30, though the weeping may tarry for the night, what? Joy comes with the morning. Creatures of the word, come on. Joy comes with the morning. Weeping may tarry for the night, but if they cling to the word, they trust in the promises of God, they walk in his precepts, joy will come with the morning. That doesn't mean it's always going to work out the way that we want it to. But the God of all comfort is going to comfort them. And joy will come with the morning. So we rejoice when we see our brothers and sisters going through sorrow, going through pain, going through a hard time, and clinging to the word of God. Now, this is not true. This is not true when we see the opposite. When we see somebody going through pain and sorrow and suffering, and they don't cling to the Word of God, they cling to whatever else. They cling to whatever, whatever the latest self-help guru says, whatever's on Oprah that day, or whatever Dr. Phil's saying. We don't rejoice in that because we know pain and more sorrow is going to come in the morning. We don't rejoice when they say, no, 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 I got this. I'm just going to figure it out on my own. Don't worry about it. I can fix this. We don't rejoice in that. Because we know that though weeping may tarry for the night, it's going to be there in the morning. More tears, more sorrow, more pain, more agony, more spiraling out of control, more addiction, more, more distress and wondering if everything's going to be okay. I mean, there is no hope in that. There's only hope in the word. So might they see me and rejoice because I've hoped in your commandments. I've hoped in your word. And so let us be a people who rejoice when we see our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ clinging to the word and hoping to the word, let's spur them on in that. Let's be a people who in our own sorrow, in our own darkness, cling to the word and bring joy to others. Let's press into their lives and, and move our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to the word so that we might rejoice with them when the joy comes with the morning. Now the second person the psalmist talks about is somebody totally different. So the first person is a follower of Jesus who, who fears the Lord. The next person's not. The next person, we're going to look at verse 48. It says this. He says, Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. Let the insolent, the, the argumentative, the arrogant, let them be put to shame because they've wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let, let the insolent, the, the, the insolent, the arrogant, um, the boastful, um, the, the argumentative, let them be put to shame, he says. Well, well, when it comes to a person who loves Christ, 
who's walking according to the word, who's putting the word into their life every single day, what does the insolent look like to them? Who, who is the insolent? Who, who is the insolent? Um, let me say this. This is important, I think. The insolent is not somebody who questions what you believe. In fact, what we believe about the word here at Flourishing Grace, and um, if, you, if you're a partner here, you, we believe this about the word, that this is the word of God. Every word on every page is inspired by the God of all things. He, he has written it through insp- by inspiring the men. He, he is, he, every single ounce of it, this is the authority. Every bit of it holds authority over all of our lives. This is the authority of our lives. It is infallible truth. It is truth. This is the truth. Now to say this is absolute truth, by just simply, that's a massive statement. It's, it rolls off the tongue, but it's so it's so big to say that God has given this. This is perfectly, it's been protected throughout the ages, perfectly according to his design. It is exactly how he wants it to be. It has not been changed. It has not been altered. It is exactly how he longs for it to be. God is, God, God is sovereign over all things, and he has protected it. It is his word to say that, to say this is absolute truth is a massive statement. And to say anything is absolute truth is an invitation to others to test it. So testing it is not insolence. Testing it is wisdom, right? To, to, to test the word for somebody to have questions and, and to, to try to get to the bottom and say, I'm not sure. I, I, we, need to, we need to dig a little bit deeper. We need to look at some science and some history and we need, to, we need to dive into this thing. That's not insolence. That's just wisdom. That's just normal. If you claim that somebody is absolute truth, you are inviting people to test that truth. I say this all the time here at Flourishing Grace. I'll say it a million more times. God, the real God, any real God is not afraid of your questions. Not afraid of your doubt. Not afraid of being exposed. If God is real, then God is not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of you testing and to see, and is this real? Is this true? Is this something I can give my life to? He's not afraid of that. He welcomes it. And so what is insolence? What is insolence? For for people of the word, what is insolence? I'm going to say there's kind of two big buckets. There's probably more, but I think in our culture and our day, there's kind of two big things that I would say, man, these two things are pretty insolent when it comes to um, questioning uh, my truth. Questioning the truth of the word, okay? So the first is simply this. Anybody else who claims that their truth is absolute truth, um, and so they attack yours, but they've never actually tested theirs, okay? I mean, that is, that is absolutely ridiculous to say, no, 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 that, you, that, that's not true. What I have is true. That this is truth. And you begin to question their truth. You say, yeah, but what about this thing here? They're like, no, 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 don't question it. You just follow this faithfully. You, you just follow in faith this truth. This is what's true, so follow it. They don't allow you to question it. They don't allow you to press in. They're not allowed to question it. They're not allowed to press in, right? That's silly. It's foolish. It's dangerous, and it's insolent. It's arrogant to say, no, your thing's not true, but mine is, but don't question mine. It's ridiculous. It's insolent. Any religion, any politic, any, any person that would say, I have absolute truth, but you're not allowed to question it, but yours is wrong, mine is right, but don't question mine, it's ridiculous. It's insolent. It's argumentative. It's just pure 
argumentative. I'm going to argue against yours all day long, but I'm not going to let you question mine. It's insolent. The second would be this, somebody who claims, and I think this is popular in our culture, so the person who claims uh, that there's no such thing as absolute truth, right? There's no, there's no such thing as absolute truth. You have your thing, you have your thing, you guys have your thing, and you have your thing, right? Let's all get along. It's fine, okay? Listen, we don't need absolute truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth. In fact, all claims to absolute truth are just power plays, right? Every political leader who says, man, things are this way, or things must be this way, or you should do this, it's just him trying to gain more power, right? Any religious leader who says, man, things must be this way, things should be this way, things must be my way, you must do this, it's just a power play to gain him more power, well, that can't be totally true. Y- y- yes, there's truth there, right? There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. But it can't be totally true. To say, listen to me, to say there's no such thing as absolute truth is a claim to absolute truth. You're making a truth claim, an absolute truth claim in the statement, man. What's wrong with you? It's insolent. It's arrogant. It's argumentative, right? There's no such thing as absolute truth. Well, you just... You just made a truth claim. Like right there, you just say, this is absolute truth, that there's no such thing as absolute truth. I mean, you, what are you doing? Everybody's seeking the truth. Every human being longs for absolute truth. Every human being, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, you and me, we want it, we crave it, we need it, because the truth will set you free. I didn't say that, Jesus did. The truth will set you free. Think about it for a minute. You're driving in your car, middle of nowhere, which means Idaho. Because <laughs> there's no more middle of nowhere than Idaho, okay? It's dark out, it's night, you're going from point A to point B, from middle of nowhere to middle of nowhere, because again, it's Idaho. Um, and, you, and your phone dies. You're like, oh man, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? But don't worry, you got a friend in the seat next to you. And he claims to have absolute truth. I know where we're going. Oh, man, here we go. Right? He can't back it up. He he has no way to back it up. No map, no phone, no nothing. But he's got it. Don't worry. It's like, just go up here. We're going to turn left. I've been here a million times. Trust me, I know. I know. I know the way. I don't think it's right. No, no, no. Don't question me. I know. I know the truth. And so you do. You follow him. You go up there, you turn left. He's like, all right, we're going to go right now. You're like, dude, I don't think it's, no, don't question me. I have the truth. And you go right. Um, you make it right. He's like, dude, I, this isn't right. We got to make a little, no, no, no. We're going to keep going. We're going to go up here. We're going to make another right. And as you go up there, you make another right. Next thing you know, you are in the middle of nowhere and the gas light comes on. Oh, man, what are we doing? What are we doing? No, 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 I know where there's a gas station. Shut up already, right? Listen, we're in the middle of nowhere. Next thing you know, it's like darkness, and your car is dead, and there's zombies. It's crazy because, again, it's Idaho. Um, <laughs> no, listen, just imagine. Now, now, let's just say a few hours ago, you could have pulled into a gas station, filled up your tank, gone inside, bought a little cheap charging cord, just pennies, pennies, simple, 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 okay? Requires a little bit of work. You got to go in, you got to buy it, you got to plug it in, a little bit of work. But you could have opened up on your phone absolute truth. Your phone could have told you absolutely where you are in that moment. Could have told you with absolute certainty, with absolute truth, where you are going. And it could have told you with absolute truth how to get there. And a little woman's voice could have come on and told you step by step how to get there with absolute truth. 
We crave it. We need it. We want it. The truth doesn't constrict us and confine us. It sets us free. We long for it. We long for it. And so to, to question, to question the word of God is not insolent. We should question the truth. I want to know, is this true or not true? To follow blindly is not the commandment of God. It's not the commandment of God. To walk according to his word is. And so let's test it. Let's question it. But those who are insolent, those who would say, no, 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 I have truth, or there's no such thing as truth, man, let them, the psalmist says, may they be put to shame. May they be put to shame. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? That they would be put to shame. I'm going to argue it's probably not what you think it is, okay? Their shame is not your glory, okay? It is not you getting to say, ha ha, I was right, you were wrong. That's not what he means. Their shame is revealed in the truth. Let's say uh, you and I get in a little bit of an argument. You say Justin Timberlake and Elvis Presley are born in the same town. No way. No way. No way. No way. No, 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 no. Justin Timberlake, Elvis Presley are born in the same town. I know there's no way that's true. No, no, no. The, seriously, Josh, they are born in the same exact town. They're, they grew up in the same place. There's no way Justin Timberlake and Elvis Presley are born in the same town. It's like the, the odds are just too, no way, no way. Josh, I'll tell you what, I'll bet you 100 bucks. You're on. I'll tell you what, I'll bet you 500 bucks. Now, I wouldn't do that, but okay, sure, let's do it. 500 bucks, so we get in this massive argument, put $500 on it, and we pull out absolute truth. We, we Google it, right? Um, and it turns out that Justin Timberlake is born in Memphis, Tennessee. Come on. Elvis Presley is born in Tupelo, Tennessee. Tupelo. It's not the same. It's a suburb of Memphis. People, come on. You owe me 500 bucks. And your shame is exposed in the truth. And so you sit there in the shame. But what the author, what the psalmist wants, and what you and I should want as followers of Jesus, is not that, they would, not that they would just feel the weight of shame, but that they would know the truth. The truth is what brings us to the place of shame. Shame is just the revealing of truth. Now I know, okay, I was, I was wrong, and now you have a choice. You have a choice. When you come to the truth, you have a choice. You can choose... To say, okay, Justin Timberlake, Elvis Presley, two different places. Similar, close, but different. I'm going to go use that and get my 500 bucks back. Um, uh, different, but, but okay. All right, I, I was wrong. I repent. I confess. And now I know the truth. And I'm going to walk in that truth. I, I know that the word of God is true. I know that God loves me. And though I don't deserve it, he sent his son to die in my place, to clothe me in righteousness. I repent from my sin. I repent from my rebellion to this truth. And I cling to Christ alone for all salvation, for all joy, for all delight. I will treasure him above all else, and I will walk according to his word. We can repent, or we can choose not to. We can choose not to. That same commentary from earlier, Matthew Henry says this about this text. He says, let them be ashamed, that is, let them be brought either to repentance or ruin. What the psalmist is saying is, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care if I'm right. I just want them to know the truth. And then they can choose. They can choose repentance or ruin. But at least they're freed from that lie. 
Whatever that lie might have been that they were believing, now they know what's true. And so in shame, they're brought to the truth and they can choose repentance or ruin. Now they're free from the lie and they are free to choose to follow the truth or to reject the truth. But they know what the truth is. So that's our hope. What is our posture? Our posture. Our posture to create this crafty argument so that we can prove to them that we are right and they are wrong? No. Our posture to say, well, someday you're going to figure it out and then I'll be there to, 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 to laugh in your face? No. The psalmist says, as for me, I'll meditate on your precepts. Let them be put to shame. But as for me, for me, I'm just going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to keep reading your word, meditating on your word, memorizing your word, knowing your word, walking in obedience to your word. I'm going to keep clinging to Christ. I'm going to keep giving my life away. I'm going to keep treasuring him more. I'm going to keep finding my delight in him. I'm going to keep walking according to your precepts. I'm going to keep on keeping on. And so that someday, someday, when the truth is revealed to them, when, when they're put to shame, when God puts them to shame, not me, I'm not putting them to shame, when the truth is revealed to them, who are they going to turn to? And that's the next piece of this. Verse 79. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. The very next line, the psalmist says, let those who fear you, when they come to know you, when they come to know you as God, as Savior, as King, as the ruler, the creator, and the sustainer of all things, let them turn to me. Now that might seem arrogant, but it's not arrogant. He says, let them turn to me so that they might know your testimony, so that I can tell them your stories. I can tell them your, about your glory. I can tell them that everything that you've given me in your word, that I might pass it on to them. And this is the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose is that God would increase our affection for him and his word, that we'd give our lives to him, that we'd become people of the Lord, and that we'd help others along the way, that we'd look for those who are younger than us. And I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about spiritually younger, and that we'd invest our lives into them. One of our memory verses for the week is a staff, 2 Timothy 2, 2. Paul says to Timothy, he says, hey, for what you've, heard, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What you've heard from me, Timothy, what you've heard from me, what, what I've received from the word, what I've received from God as I've opened the word and God has revealed it to me, I've taught it to you in the presence of many witnesses. Those things, you don't hoard those things for yourself. Pass them on. Teach them to other people who will be able to teach them to other people who will be able to teach them to other people who will be able to teach them to other people. This is the purpose. This is what the word of God is good for. In the very next chapter, Paul goes on to tell Timothy, that's what it's good for. In verse 16 of chapter 3, 2 Timothy, he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. It's good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As followers of Jesus, we are to be people of the word. God has given us this amazing, wonderful, wonderful gift. He's called us to follow it, to engage in the truth with him, 
to delight in the truth with him, to delight in him through his word, to follow it, to respond to him in it through his word, to influence other people in our lives through his word, and to share that word with others. It's not meant to be just be hoarded. It's meant to be shared. As a pastor, I hear all the time, all the time, all the time, people say, Josh, I'm just afraid. When we talk about being a small group leader or stepping up into leadership or sharing our faith, Josh, I'm just afraid. I'm afraid that somebody's going to ask me questions and I, I'm not going to know the answer. I, I, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I just don't know the word. Friends, let me, let me tell you something. No, nobody knows all of it. The, the greatest seminary professors don't know everything there is to know about the word. It's a lifelong journey. And we won't understand every ounce of it fully until the next life with Christ. The point of the series, the hope of the series, everything that we've talked about, everything. If you've been around for the past four weeks, all of this, the point of this is not, is not to tell you what the Bible is. The point of this is you, friends. That you might understand that the gift of God, his word, his Bible is for you. It's for you, not, not for seminary professors or Bible college kids or pastors and ministers. It's for you. It's in your hands. He's given, the God who is sovereign over all things has given this to you. He's given you a gift, you. Not just the people sitting around you, I'm talking about you. He wants to engage with you in the opening of that gift. Not, not just me, not just people around He wants to engage with you. He wants you to open up the word with him. He wants to reveal to you his affections for you. He wants to show you who he is and what he delights in. He wants to teach you to follow him. And he wants to influence the people in your life, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people that you live around, the people, your, your family. He wants to influence them through you, through you engaging the word. Friends, none of this will be true of you. None of it will be true of you. If you do not begin to engage him in the word, if you do not open the word, if you do not become a person of the word, a creature of the word, if you don't give your life to it, if you don't open it, there's no hope for those things for you. It's very simple. Right? It's as simple as pulling over to a gas station and buying the stupid little cheap little plug that probably won't work in a week and just plugging it in. It's simple. Just, just sit down and open your Bible today. Begin today. I don't know what you got going on today, but begin today. Right? You say, Josh, my kids are crazy. They're running around. Hey, listen, I got plans. I'll cancel them. I'll watch your kids. Come grab me afterwards. I'll cancel my plans. I'll watch your kids. I don't care. Right? They might come back to you messed up, but I'll watch them. <laughs> Happily. Engage in the word of God today. Begin today. Start a reading plan with your family today, friends. So the people around us might be transformed. So that those who are followers of Jesus will rejoice in you. So that the insolent will be put to shame. That they'll come to see the truth. And so that as they do, they'll turn to you and you can tell them the great stories of your God and King, Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you this morning.
We submit our lives to your word. I pray, I pray that you would impress this on the people in this room, that you have not given this gift to pastors and priests and popes and seminary professors. You've given it to each one of us as individuals. And it is so wonderful and so amazing and so good. Let us not let another day slip by without engaging you in it without reading it and speaking it over our lives, without coming to know it a little bit more. Might we see the wondrous works of your hands as we devote our lives in faithfulness to the gift that you've given us. There's a purpose, there's a power, there's a love all revealed within this gift. Don't let us be foolish. Let us walk in wisdom and let us walk in truth. I pray these things in your name, in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.